0: Welcome to the Tip Manor podcast. We're back again for another episode. Today, we're going to be going through uh, the Donny game, Bristol Rovers, wrap up what's going on around League One, and then preview the Wigan game on Saturday. We've got usual suspects. You've got me, James. We've got John. We've got Ben. We've got Jack. And we've got a special guest today in Mark Wilkins, a.k.a. Biscuit Chaser, a.k.a. OUFC Analytics, a.k.a. anything else, Mark, you want to add? Um, not that you should probably know about, no. <laughs> ah. <laughs> nice one. Well, let's, let's, let's start with yourself, Mark, if that's all right. Yeah. Um, do you like, do you like biscuits?
1: Yeah, that's a, I, I knew that would get asked. Um, and that is something that's pretty much stuck with me since, since school that my friends used to call me. <laughs> um, so I've, I've taken ownership of the abuse, uh, even though I'm not actually clinically overweight as you probably have <laughs> that image so um yeah just- what's the favorite though
0: like if you had to pick one oh, what we're we talking it's it's like jammy dodger. i don't know if that qualifies as a biscuit these no, days. i think i think that's all right let's quick round robin john biscuit go uh choc chip what just generic <laughs> that could be anything that could be <laughs> as the smart price
2: i don't really eat biscuits so this is the wrong conversation
0: for me but a, a digestive right. then a hovis digestive Brand okay. all right uh you failed with the answer there um ben uh McVitie's chocolate hobnobs okay
3: jack those um fox's golden crunch creams yeah,
0: good. excellent okay that is yeah not bad not bad i'm i'm a hobnob kind of guy myself anyway sorry mark i thought that i was just curious isn't there another <laughs> oxford united pod that talks about biscuits somewhere i think there might be probably was um <laughs> let's let's start from the top i guess mark where, where are you from and how did you kind of become an oxford fan
1: um so i've sort of lived in Tame pretty much all my life aside from when i went off to uni at brighton um now kind of moved back to the area since and um yeah started up at the man like like most people my dad used to go home and away with oxford until uh he got married, <laughs> and yes. he was then he was then uh, limited of what he could do. But anyway, he yeah, he started taking me up to the manor at a young age, and stuck with me from there. And season tickets from then on. Um,
0: nice. Was Was there any particular season that like sticks with you as a point where you were like, okay, I am gonna get, I am gonna get into this, or I am I am sold?
1: No, not particularly. I think it was just the fact that I could actually go and watch the matches. So I used to go to training. Uh, every Saturday morning and then could just go home, have lunch, go watch the Oxford and that, you know, all my other friends sort of supporting, you know, sort of premiership teams and stuff, just had to sit, watch it at home. So, yeah, live football, shouting, that sort of stuff gets me going. (laughs) Do I ask the generic, like, who's your favourite player and then you say Joey Beecham thing? Yeah, that's a given, isn't it? I'll turn the answer. there's, there's, There's no other... No other option, I was born in 88, so like the 90s for me, I always kind of say to people that I only really know sort of failure by and large with Oxford from what I can remember until kind of the conference days and getting promoted out of there, so arguably we're probably in the best period that I can remember. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same, <laughs> I think. I think mo- I think most
0: of us are similar, age. I like to say we're a similar age. Um, but yeah, I think that's why we all we all kind of kind of resonate with the same eras. Yeah. Um, Cole, and what what do you do for a living? Like I saw you were kind of a tennis coach. COVID had a bit of an impact, and um, yeah. obviously you've got the analytics stuff going in the background. So yeah,
1: so you can I'm, talk through that. I'm a, yeah, I'm a full time tennis coach, so I so I I run all the um, coaching program and team. And about a year ago, I just started sort of messing around with some football data stuff. Um, I did a sports science degree, so always sort of had a bit of an interest in that side of things. Um, And kind of from that, I then uh, started learning sort of coding and that sort of thing. And then about six months ago, I was then uh, recruited by uh, a football agency called Market Insights, who people have probably seen or maybe heard of, but we worked worked with clubs up and down sort of the EFL Scottish football and um, I don't know I don't know which ones are public so it's probably best for me not to risk <laughs> <laughs> disclosure as <laughs> to it is but we yeah we've got quite a fair amount of people and I'm my sort of title is consultant performance analyst or something but I, I essentially do sort of opposition analysis um, for the clubs that we work for
0: nice cool it's been um yeah it's been putting us to shame i think when we first started doing the pod we were quite keen to chuck the odd bit of kind of analysis out there um thinking we were being all special and then we kind of saw you come (laughs) along we're like oh, maybe we
1: should just to one side just kind of picked up like it you know just something that I've, i've spent a little bit of time on and learned and luckily it kind of is used in a professional setting now which is a bit of a fluke but It's also quite cool at the same
0: time. John, I see you had some musings around questions around the analytics stuff specifically. Would you rather go into the games or anything you want to touch on now? I was just interested
2: in a few things really about the stuff
0: Mark does. So, I mean, even then what you were talking about.
2: So you produce the analytics for, say, opposition research. Do the clubs supplement that with their own work? Because they kind of all know what they're looking for. Or are you, you producing a sort of a generic package on obvious things like favored formation sort of key players that sort of stuff
1: yeah so the so the clubs we work for they kind of have a it kind of varies in that some some of the clubs have quite extensive sort of analytic departments and then sort of use us almost as a second opinion where they kind of use it for recruitment they use it for the opposition stuff and then there's other clubs that literally just have maybe one or two analysts And they sort of outsource it in that, you know, they get a whole load of scouts and opposition stuff um, from going with market. So we kind of do quite bespoke stuff, um, depending on the on the team and what they kind of want, really. But each team is different. Some of them are kind of quite advanced in their thinking. And then some of them you kind of have to be um, really clear with. You know stuff like XG even, which now is quite a well-known uh, statistic and whatnot. But you know, there's some some clubs that just don't want to really engage with that whole lot. So it kind of varies, which yeah. keeps it interesting. But yeah, there's um, there's a whole range, and to be honest, it, it's quite clear even within League One the sort of clubs who are doing some interesting and advanced stuff, and then those who are kind of old football men who just want characters and passion
2: does that correlate to um kind of size of club or are there I appreciate you may not be able to name names but are there any sort of ones that you think oh that's that's interesting they're kind of exploring a level of investment in this stuff that I wouldn't expect
1: them to be doing no there's I mean there's I mean I was I heard of some stuff today that you know down into like the Spanish third division you know employing almost like a whole analytics department I mean this is something that Um, especially up in Scotland as well, where smaller clubs with COVID, you've got a little bit of, it it seems counterintuitive, really, that um, if you've got less money to then spend it in analytics. But as you've kind of seen with Oxford, actually, you know, you bring in an analyst for, I don't know, 20, 30 grand, however much. If he picks out the next sort of Rob Atkinson, then you're making the club, I don't know, a million, two million, whatever it may be. And actually clubs are now sort of switching on to the fact that you can use recruitment trading as as quite an um, important strategy for your income, especially when you've got no match day income and that sort of stuff.
0: That's a really good point. I was going to ask how it plays into recruitment because you've kind of got the generic kind of Joe Bloggs scout that goes around the country watching players, but then yeah. you've got all of this data now, yeah. you know, available and then... Is it easier for people to kind of use scouting and actually going and watching them to kind of make final decisions more than anything? So, like, work out who to go and see as a starting point.
1: Yeah. So, and there's, yeah. so you know, with platforms sort of like Instat and Y Scout, I don't know if you've heard of them, but they've, they've essentially just, I mean, I can go onto Y Scout and watch, you know, whatever player anywhere in the, in the world. Um, and the, you can kind of get all the data and whatnot on them. So, a lot of the time, the data will kind of be used as almost an initial sort of filter process. Um, So, I don't know, for example, with Oxford, you you know, Oxford have now started to recruit quite a specific type of centre-back. With Rob Dickey, you had someone who's kind of very good at sort of breaking the lines with their passes. In Rob Atkinson, you've got someone who who does that with his kind of ball-carrying. So, they may be elements that you kind of, Smash into the algorithm, see what comes out, and then kind of watch a whole load of video, and that can then sort of earmark players that you will then go and look at live. That will kind of get fed to you know other scouts, managers, you know all sorts of people that will then have their opinion on it. And um, yeah, the the data kind of either backs up an opinion or, or acts as an initial filter or, or a kind of guide, but it, it never really should be. And I, I think in some cases, like at Liverpool, it's sometimes taken as a um, kind of the data people that have, have kind of found this player and they've just decided to recruit them based on a load of numbers rather than actually watching yeah. them. So so the two kind of go hand in hand, really. I wonder if we had um,
0: analytics in place when we signed Gino Van Kessel and Jemmy. And uh, who was the other one I was thinking of?
3: number two Egon Evo
0: P-Pakal- I can't ever see Pekowski so yeah <laughs> well
1: that's that's <laughs> like one of the best examples of a manager just just using an agent and using people that he knows um which tends yeah. not to be a, a great strategy no
0: there you go um cool. that's really interesting to be fair I, di- I didn't realise there was that backdrop of um I thought it might have been a hobby as well more than anything else, but it's cool to know it's kind of obviously stuff that's part of your career as well. It's good to know yeah um news stuff then uh ben let's let's start with you Tranmere in the uh Papa Johns trophy. How excited are you for this one? It's probably a good draw though in the scheme of things.
4: it's probably the best draw you could have got in terms of you know Lincoln are a good side this season. We've struggled against them when we've played them. And Sunderland oh, could be any any scoreline, probably 1-1. I mean, it's it's good money for the club. It's not good money for the club. Well, no, <laughs> the prize money to get to this stage... Yeah, with, pizza and a slap. And about 60 grand. It's not, Is it okay? All yeah, right, it's not... given, given you get to the quarterfinals of the League Cup and get nothing in prize money, it's a bit but that's the that's the power of the Premier League and all the money they can throw at this tournament.
2: Eat your words,
4: James. <laughs> Eat my pizza.
3: Yeah. Um,
4: but I think it's, you know, if we can win that and get to a final, we, nobody will be there. It'll be an empty Wembley Stadium. It'll be terrible, but if, we win, if we're winning games, we're winning games. I think this season I'll probably have more interest
0: in this tournament than normal because yeah. it's football and we've got nothing else to do. I think Jack, that's fair to say, isn't it? Like we've we seem to have used this competition well in that the squad seems more it, as a fan, it's more interesting than, than I can remember in recent memory, like wanting to know who's playing even in these games. Like Winnell's obviously stepped up, got a couple of goals in the last fixture and generally the fans seem to have more interest.
3: Yeah, I think the whole COVID situation's kind of helped in that aspect because with the youth team having to train in their own bubble the likes of Nico Jones and who else has played in recent games, Tyler Goodraham and that, they've all kind of can't train with the first team now. So it's made the likes of Sykes get games when he's been out of favour. Um, Aji, it's kept Eastwood kind of match fit if he's required. So with all the signings on deadline day as well, actually, it's probably quite a difficult team selection against Tranmere. Yeah. Um, and what, what does KR do if we if we got to the final and Stevens is is the number one now? Does he keep Eastwood because he's been the cupkeeper? Um there's all this kind of side side um stories running underneath it. But yeah, another home draw. I think we've been home in every knockout round, so it's kind of leading the right way for us.
0: Yeah. Mark, do you reckon Dan Aji will will play in this game? Or do you reckon he's frozen?
1: Depends if he's got a shin pads on, doesn't it? I imagine it's, <laughs> he's. Uh, I don't know, just like Sykes before. It yeah. seems like Dan Edgey's kind of upset Robinson and and Stevie Kinnebrew as well, <laughs> by the sounds of it yeah, on the radio. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I mean, Edgey's a bit of a bit of an odd one. He's he's clearly. I think we've probably all seen got the potential to do something, but it just seems so infrequent. And he's the sort that. Kind of similar, I guess, to Sykes, where if they were to leave, you could you could kind of envisage them actually going on a decent run and, and doing something quite useful. So I don't know. I'd like to see him play. I think he's got something about him. I think you know, after his performance sort of up front against Portsmouth and whatnot, you know, it would be nice to give uh, him a yeah, bit of a chance yeah. up front and see what he can actually do in his in his proper position, as it were. But um, I think maybe Win Winall will get the minutes instead. To be honest.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, other news, John, the salary cap kind of U-turn came out um, in the last few days. What, what are your general thoughts on that?
2: It was real shock, wasn't it? I and mean, I think my first reaction turned to how much planning, player deals, transfers will have been done on the basis of the salary cap. And no doubt yeah. a lot of players will have turned down deals or not been given deals because people were thinking, well, we can't fit you in. I know we haven't had confirmation about squad sizes moving forward, but the salary cap is still a, Yeah, you know, it was a blunt instrument, but I think we all felt something needed to be done. Um, we now seem to be back in a place where we think the original thing that was in place, the SCMP, I think it was called, makes sense, but wasn't enforced. Um, for me, I still think you do need some form of a of a cap that means things can't get out of hand and you protect against the the berries and so on, but it just seems to come completely out of the blue. And it's another sort of EFL with its tail between its legs and having to go back on the drawing board. Um, but I was also frustrated with the salary gap generally. That no, nothing in the championship had been had been put in place, and League One and League Two were being sort of held back, and Championship was still doing what it wanted to.
0: Yeah, I just still think it comes down to a like high level. Like clubs should just be able to spend within their means, and if that means that. Things need to be enforced where there's actual monitoring of in you know income versus outgoings. Then you know that's what they've got to do. But you know it's not it's no not really too dissimilar to what you get with accounts with limited companies in a sense. Like
2: if you can find a way nuts. of distributing the revenue through football in a fairer way, and some of the things that were proposed in Project whatever it was called a few months back that sort of would lead to clubs getting more money and more money trickling down then you can kind of combine that with the sort of current model now which is you know spend within your means but it all comes down to enforcement doesn't it
0: yeah that was the tip financial update (laughs) uh right let's talk about some football um donny feels like a while back now um Mark, were you surprised when you saw the, the lineup and you saw Barker and Lee both getting rammed straight into the team? I think most of us were thinking, you know, they'll after 60, 70 minutes, we'll probably see them make their debuts, but they were straight in.
1: Yeah, Barker especially. Um, from kind of seeing bits of Barker, is he's great at kind of just running into big spaces. Um, <laughs> it sounds yeah. a bit stupid but I, it's kind of like
0: we said we literally said that last night when we were watching the Bristol game I was saying he doesn't seem to like do step overs or whatever he no. just kicks the ball Kick and then and moves quicker than the yeah just gets there first
1: it kind of just really reminds me of uh, I think it was uh, when Gavin White scored his hat trick at Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury I think it yeah. was yeah. Um, you know I think there was a goal in there where he basically just kicks it and just you know just canes it after the ball and that's pretty much what Barker does and you know to my mind especially with the way we play um you know sort of playing for the last half an hour on the counter or whatever whether you're sort of chasing the goal or or you're winning um kind of makes sense to get Barker on I think you probably see with Lee that he's he's sort of in the sort of Henry or Ford mold where he's he's you know as Robinson has said he's quite a clever footballer so um I didn't quite expect them to come straight in, but they had a really decent impact, actually, on, on Saturday. Um, yeah, first half especially, right? Yeah, definitely. I think I think Barker's going to absolutely go, go at defenders, as we saw last night with, um, I don't know who, who their right-back was, but he was just absolutely papping himself, wasn't he? It was kind of Barker just <laughs> sort of running straight at him, and he was just sort of backing off and backing off. And, you know, I suppose as a defender, you don't have a whole lot of option. Of either you try and engage him and sort of bring him down or you try and back off a bit but you know if, if we get him yeah. in, against Doncaster you know Henry especially with those sort of big switches trying to get trying to get Barker one-on-one the whole time against his fullback I think that's probably going to be a feature of the the rest of the season
0: yeah and Jack I'm not sure if we were talking about this on or off pod time but like this is Barker's big th- I mean, like moment, isn't it? His, his career at Rangers is probably being realistic is going to be up in the summer, so he's got you know he's got to prove a point here and play for his next contract. So you expect him to be really going for it.
3: Yeah, I think uh, Rangers are kind of moved on a level now. That obviously they're top of the league by about twenty points or whatever it is. So his um kind of status at Rangers is very much fringe player. So th- this move, um, if he shows he can absolutely run it in League One, then he, he gives himself a chance of a decent move back to England. Um, so yeah, for him, he's still only 24, I think. It's it's a big kind of make or break of where his career is going to go.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, ben, what did you make of the the Donny game in general? It was, it was quite a strange match in that there weren't really many chances like either keeper didn't really make many saves at all and yet there were five goals
4: yeah it, it looked like a, a good game of football between two form teams which obviously what it was but yeah it just seemed that there were just individual moments where players were out of position or players made a mistake and, and out of nothing there was a goal and uh, I mean if you look at the stats it, it kind of you think they've, they've had five shots and they've scored three of them on another yeah, day, that, that was it. they could have you know double that, triple that, and your keeper will make a few saves, and you only concede one or two. It was—I thought we played well, but it's just uh, three, three occasions, three mistakes, and they've scored three goals. And and whilst we tried our best to get level, I mean, we'll probably talk about that penalty that wasn't—you know—on another day, oh, God, yeah. you may have got something out of that, but I certainly don't think we did ourselves any harm in in the performance. Where we've we've spent enough time this season and others saying we just didn't play well out there. I just thought on another day, that kind of performance would get a much better result. And- yeah, I
0: was thinking how many clubs are going to go to Donny, have over 60% possession, have, what, three, four times as many shots as, as them. And it's just, um, I was thinking, Mark, if, if we just started chatting... Like chucking all sorts of analytics questions at you, like how many other clubs have had sixty-two percent possession at Doncaster Rovers?
1: Go, I'm not that Um, type of guy. I'm afraid. (laughs) If you want to know when we last won against someone in, you know, 1903, then that's not my bag. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it it was a weird. Like Jack,
0: what were your main main takings from it? Um, I I think Darren Moore, like in the reaction, was kind of saying good advert for league 1 kr said something very similar um yeah it was it was a, it was a tough one to take for me like ben referenced it there that penalty at the end i know you on wasn't at the game show afterwards as well i think you were saying um <laughs> like there's no one anywhere near that, like shadipo puts the ball past the guy and then the defender just seems to just step in his way elbow across his chest but the ball's gone isn't it? it's miles off
3: yeah it was it was the classic and Going on Mark's point about Barker being kick and run, he'll get a number of free kicks that are exactly the same as that challenge on Chidipo for the rest of the season, where he'll knock it past someone, go around their outside and get cleaned out. And the shoulder charges, body checks, yes, you can do them in the middle of the pitch, but that was centre of the penalty box and Chidipo would have, well, assumingly, we presumably slotted the ball in. So I think the ref was in the wrong position. And I think KR mentioned last night that the um, uh, chairman of referees or whatever the, the body is called, the Professional Game Association, had admitted that it was a mistake. But I think the ref, looking at it back, I think the ref just got in the wrong position and didn't see the foul. He just saw Shadipo hit the floor and wasn't really sure what happened. Um, yeah. I mean, the the game as a whole was is a great game to watch if you're a neutral. Obviously, we weren't. So we found it incredibly frustrating. Um yeah, on a, on a different day, we you know, we stop one of those goals and get a point. Um, you know, so there's positive signs in there and obviously the, the main thing was bouncing back and we'll go on to talk about that.
0: Yeah. I, I was I said something yesterday that made me feel better was that if you'd have looked at Donny and Bristol Rovers on paper and said, We'll get if we got two draws out of that, you'd feel pretty good. So to come away with three points, you got an extra point. Now it's quite a simpleton's way to look, but it made me feel better. Um, John, the one thing I there's two things I remember from this game I wanted to talk about. One was we had loads of set pieces all over the shot, like beyond it says we had five corners, but we had that many free kicks in like positive positions. And in the last month or so, we've been clinical, haven't we? But we were god awful. And I think Liam Kelly came on at the end, didn't he? And then just chucked a couple into the first man which was infuriating, but yeah, it was a weird one, wasn't it? Yeah, if you think about the um, the quality that
2: Henry showed in um, his delivery for the goal against Rochdale, um, it was sort of you'd expect to be, us to be doing things in, in that kind of way. Um, I think we talked a lot about this game being a bit of a barometer as where we are, particularly from a footballing perspective. And I thought, you know, got to be encouraged from it. But in a way, Doncaster showed there are certain bits we'd want to take from how Doncaster play because they move the ball, I think, just a little bit quicker into offensive spaces, whereas we want sort of two or three passes to get into those places. I mean, their goal was certainly the first one. They were passed and into the pockets of space around Gorin very, very easily. And I think we need to sort of think about, actually, do we take one pass too many And on occasions? We did some lovely sort of, link up play like Elliot Lee and um, James Henry looked like they were having a love in in the first 20 minutes in terms of playing together and that was very very cute yeah yeah, it was very encouraging and Elliot Lee I'm sort of going all over the place here but you know I think he's he reminds me of, of Chris Maguire in the way he plays and I think that's really encouraging because Maguire added something different to the to the team just in his composure um
0: which we'll obviously see in the in the later game yeah um Mark, I've got, got an analytics question. Go on. I don't, know, I don't know if you have anything up your sleeve for this, but we often on the on the pod talk, and I'm sure you listen to every episode, we chat about Ruffles and Sam Long a lot. Yeah. And I personally can't make up my mind with whether they're the best thing since sliced bread <laughs> or... I saw like another graphic come on Twitter the other day saying like we've got the best, you know, in terms of defenders that contribute to goals yeah. and assists. I think we we're leading the race in like was it the UK or Europe or something ridiculous? I don't I don't know. But I don't know what your what do you have you looked at kind of long and ruffles and tried to assess how effective they are? as an all round as all rounders because i i just i think data is the thing that we ultimately need you don't have to have it to hand now but maybe at some point
1: yeah i don't know what your thoughts are yeah no i was actually tagged in that image that's now got 350 likes so i've been getting every single notification of people <laughs> retweeting yeah. and whatnot but it's, i i guess it comes down really to what you actually want from your your wing backs. um You know, with players like Cadden, he's pretty much in one mould where he's just going to go forward. But then at the same time, the trade-off is that he's going to, you know, let you down a little bit defensively. Um, Going into this season, I was I was speaking to someone who was basically saying that our left-back position was was where we're weakest. So, you know, I suppose to continue the progression of the squad and to, you know, keep keep moving forward, you need to constantly be upgrading each position and we we seemingly kind of yeah. do that in the midfield we do it out wide we've done it at centre-backs but it feels like we've not really had permanent especially not a permanent right back really for for years I mean going back to sort of Boldog Kane all those sort of players and it's Christoph a, Remy yeah I mean you're kind of like you know it just goes on and on it feels like forever since we actually had a, a player at right back that we actually owned. so I mean even Ruffles kind of sort of fell into left-back, didn't he, really, rather than that being his specialist yeah. position. And I think you probably see that. We've we've seen it quite a bit, actually, this season, where if you were to do a bit of an opposition report on Oxford, you would probably say that our two weaknesses are the fact that we're so reliant on Gorin um, because he, he mops up all over the place. If you can press him into errors, a bit like Doncaster did when actually he got booked, then you're pretty much onto the the centre-back straight away because our our left and right-back play so high. And then on top of that, um, you would also target left-back Ruffles as well. I think we've seen quite a bit this season. um, One that jumps out, obviously, against a very good player, Malik Wilkes um, for Hull. But the way that teams kind of focus a lot of their attack down that left side, um, again, the... The Doncaster first goal came from that pass just behind Ruffles, didn't it? So
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: it's you know, it's great they're scoring and they're creating as well. I mean, obviously, sort of Longs' assists against Burton and whatnot sort of inflate his numbers a little bit. But I mean, at the moment, it's very tough to make a to make an argument for them not to be starting because they're they're kind of producing, aren't they? But it's it's going to be interesting to see if this holds for another twenty games or so.
0: I think I think that's it and that's why the data will eventually be interesting because John I, I especially remember you saying it when we were watching the game live like there was and actually Mark you put a, a clip on like I think you put a clip of a really good move down the right-hand side yeah. where we were just it, we looked like Brazil yeah and there was a few of those moments but then there was we seemed to be channeling a lot of the attacks down the right when we weren't hitting Barker on the left yeah. and quite a few times it it breaks down with long but yeah. the thing is one in one in seven or one in eight of those, Long does something really effective and good and it kind of gets him out. Yeah. You kind of forget about all the other times where the move is broken down because he's lost control or he's tried a first-time yeah. pass and just given it straight to him.
1: And and equally, and, you, yeah. you get quite a few occasions as well where, where Gorin just fills in behind him. So, you know, you've got Long or Ruffles just kind of marauding down the pitch and Gorin's already kind of Spotted it and is covering their position. So I think a lot of what Gorin does kind of goes unnoticed, sort of positionally. And he'll, you know, tackle, intercept, whatever. But I think that probably gets our, um, gets Ruffles and Long out of quite a few sort of situations, really. Because you yeah. do a
2: lot of stuff around sort of average position in terms of mapping it onto yeah. onto pitches. I mean, are there things within a typical Oxford game you see and think that's not what? You would what, what it would appear if, if you're watching on TV. So Gorin's an interesting example because sometimes he feels like he's he's absolutely everywhere and yep. other times he feels like he's two steps behind the ball. Yeah,
1: he's, you can... Gorin's kind of an interesting case because he can... The thing that kind of lets him down is is kind of his actions sort of on the ball, really, in that he can sometimes take too many touches and then get himself kind of with the ball caught up in his feet and then he's sort of stumbling around a little bit. But um, with players like Kelly as well, you know, there's quite a lot going on off the ball where even if you don't have the ball, you can sort of cut off passing lanes. Um, with your body position, you can sort of force the opposition into making certain passes and that sort of thing. Um, but with Gorin specifically, he, he pretty much always crops up exactly where you'd expect him to be. You know, you see him take the ball off of more and Atkinson a lot. He drops into the centre back. Um, there's a few things kind of that are a little more sort of unexpected. Sort of the last few games, and that's that's mostly sort of Matty Taylor dropping a lot deeper than he has done in the past. Yeah. Um, so he's dropping. He's, he's actually linking up play a lot more, and our our wingers are actually basically playing beyond Taylor now, um, which kind of indicates that. Taylor's sort of involved in the build-up a lot more and then is arriving a bit later into the box. Um, so that's kind of something to keep a bit of an eye on. I, know,
0: I noticed that um, Taylor Taylor was even playing in like a false nine. You know, when the yep. Ox and Mail released like the team sheet, they yep. even had Taylor in like a false nine yeah. with the two wingers either side of him. And I was like, is that intentional? But I'm guessing it probably is.
1: Yeah, I, he, he's coming a lot deeper to link up the play. I, I assume that's... Um, just to create a bit more space for the wingers and stuff, and also, you know, it it forces the centre backs into being dragged out of position. Um, you know, if if Taylor sort of drops between the midfield and the centre back, then whose job is it to sort of pick him up? And that sort of can create quite a lot of confusion, really. So it's um, yeah, it's something that we're doing quite regularly, and also these I, I don't, I've not really seen it. A whole lot, but also these balls over the top as well that Taylor's getting onto. He did it, I think, against Burton with the lob. Um, yeah, and he's, I think, he he, he did it against someone else as well, mainly sort of from ruffles, really. I think yeah.
0: it was the Bristol Rovers second goal where you one. couldn't tell if he was offside by like 100 metres
1: or, yeah, that's the one. And, on. and we're getting a little bit more direct at times, which again is, is quite a nice development. You said earlier about sort of taking too many touches in the build up and actually keeping that in our locker, the occasional one over the top for for Taylor to run onto is, is definitely a good tactic. Yeah. And um,
0: Jack, the other thing I wanted to mention was James Henry. So he's he's kind of dropped back and you expect he's going to be having a bit of a battle with McGuane when he's back or McEwen, as <laughs> I like to call him, when he's back in contention. Um He Henry second half. There was a period of time, and I know like this is nitpicky, but at the same time, you got to analyze it. But for like five ten minutes, I think he gave the ball away every time, like under no pressure as well. And we were all kind of pulling our hair out because obviously at this time we're three three one or three two down, and he was just giving the ball away under no pressure. And I'm just, do do you think? That that position is going to be right for him, or do you think there's a a real chance that he'll find himself on the bench towards you know as we go into the final run in in the season?
3: Uh, He frustrates me a lot when he plays more centrally because I think Mark touched on it. He was spraying these lovely diagonal passes out to try and get Barker onto his opposition fullback, and he was pulling them off you know ninety percent of the time in the first half, and then whatever happened at half-time, um, he, yeah, he he then couldn't make five-yard passes and he always hitting it behind someone or not hitting the ball properly. Um, and this is why I can't work out where his best position is because we've seen him kind of play that floating role a couple of seasons ago where he scored 10 or 11 goals and he used to score that similar goal from the edge of the box all the time. Um, he's not an out-and-out winger because he hasn't got the pace to be. He's kind of somewhere in the middle of all those things and actually i think elliot lee uh, last night scored the kind of goal that you would have come to expect from henry in previous seasons that we've not seen this year um yeah. it'll be interesting to see longer term what happens with henry will he will he lose his place when when McGuane comes back um will lee kind of be the first pick ahead of him in the, the kind of right hand side role um it's kind of what his own little narrative to run for the rest of the season.
2: For me, when Henry's in the sort of central midfield, the whole kind of front five or whatever you want to look at it is just too unbalanced and too free flowing. And you've got Branigan and Henry who are kind of floating a bit and want to do the sort of creative stuff, and Goran inevitably gets overloaded. And for me, Henry, I agree with you, Jack. He's, he's. I see him more in the the Elliot Lee role or the James Henry role um, as, as was um, but I'm not sure what you do I still like Kelly in there and it's interesting what Mark talked about earlier about sort of kind of influence off the ball it's interesting to sort of see there is something going on there because um, I'm not sure that McGuane Brannigan can play in the same midfield at the um, the same time I don't know if Mark if Mark, you've got anything on sort of positions and that kind of thing does that chime with anything you've seen
1: yeah, in, about instinct- where, where they like to play and that sort of thing. Yeah, instinctively, you, both Branigan and, and McGraine basically almost play a sort of I, I want to almost call them sort of false fullbacks really, in that they they play on the inside of their fullback and they occupy that kind of inside channel. Um, it sounds a bit stupid, to say it, but it's kind of both of them sort of drop back into the the back four, pick up the ball, and can progress up the pitch, kind of on that left side, which I don't know with McGuane. I mean, he's kind of played out on the wing. He's played in midfield. He's played number 10. At this point, I'm not entirely sure what his best position is, but his his most influential matches have definitely come on the left side of the midfield three. Um, That obviously is kind of where Branigan would normally occupy. And I think we're probably going to have a bit of a decision to make in the midfield in that, for me henry isn't great in the midfield 3 um i think he'd lose quite a lot of what he's good at in the middle and he doesn't really contribute enough sort of off the ball but i'm i'm not entirely sure whether you can put McGuane, for example on the right side of the midfield 3 so i'm kind of intrigued to see what what robinson does really i think when branigan was coming back from fitness he was he was subbing McGuane for branigan so I don't know whether that's an indication that he has a similar, similar sort of thought really, but it seems a shame not to kind of manage to fit all that talent into the midfield really.
0: Yeah, I I, I thought it was interesting. I actually thought one of the better partnerships that we'd seen this season was McGuane on the left with Abita. Yeah. Um, for a few games, but obviously that's not a thing anymore. <laughs> but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um what happens when he's when he's back in contention because he just started to kind of hit the mark and you had For- I could see forest fans and stuff starting to take an interest again in him um based on you know clips surfacing up and little touches here and there especially in the Burton game that was the one that comes to mind um yeah right so moving on from donny bristol rovers last night um ben this was our first double over them since the '92-'93 season, as we got our resident stats man Jack to go and check, <laughs> um, but they hadn't had—they'd had a terrible run of form leading into the game. Um, so we beat them 2 0 They'd since drawn a couple, lost a couple. So they Tisdale only—how how long has he been there? Like three months or something. But he's he's already under
3: pressure. Um, he's gone. What? He got sacked today. Did he? Yeah. It was
2: sack day, Tisdale, today,
3: wasn't it? Has gone.
0: I I didn't spot it. Somebody else
2: went, didn't they?
0: Yeah, Keith Curl curl. at Northampton. Ah, that doesn't surprise me as much. They lost to Wigan, didn't they, at home yesterday? Shit. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how how to react to that. He's a a good. No problem. Every time we've had a vacancy, He's always been mentioned, Tisdale, because he's, he's, he was at Exeter for that long. He's one of those solid managers that seems to play decent football and has a good a good mind. Like KR was even referencing it after the game yesterday saying how Tisdale changed the shape like 17 times during the game and we were struggling to, to cope with it. And you can see that in the play. Um, Ben I'm I'm conscious I said your name and I've talked for like 28 (laughs) minutes but (laughs) when you saw kind of the lineup not many changes but your general kind of thoughts on the game it was a bit bitty wasn't it that's a word yeah
4: it was very scrappy if you compare it to the Doncaster game Uh, particularly in defense we just seemed to be a lot less organized and and people were just drifting out of position and we just didn't seem to have that command of the space and particularly in the first half, you'd you'd have players ending up on opposite sides of the pitch and you're thinking, how have you ended up there and who's covering your position? And I think with a a better team attacking-wise, we we may have been punished more yesterday, but I I didn't think Bristol Rovers really had that many chances apart from a a good Stephens save in the first half. Yeah, He tipped it over the bar and then that chance at 1-0 where I think he's 10 yards out and he's just smashed it wide and really should score. But... Uh Attacking-wise, I thought we were, again, really good. Um, I think Lee, is, is finish, that's a really good sign. He, he clearly knows what he's doing and, and taking that so calmly as well. Uh, but the, the link-up before that as well, the flick on from Taylor and the ball from Henry, we've seen a lot of teams do that against us, just seem to break us down out of nowhere through the middle. It's good to see that we've got that as well, rather than always just trying to go down the wing and then... And, yeah. Yeah. Parker's goal as well. I mean, that's, uh, I thought he'd overrun it and he's just smashed it in from an angle that you didn't think it's going to go in. And, you know, it, the two players we've brought in on deadline day have scored in that game. I think it shows it's a really good bit of business, actually, not just because they're good players themselves, but we've got some real competition now in those places with Shodders and, and Barker on the left and Lee and Henry on the right. And so I think, you know, we've got plenty of options now. The bench is looking stronger every game. So it helps, I think, that we've got just those extra options that you can bring on 20, 25 minutes to go who are going to make a real difference.
0: Yeah. It's weird with the five subs that you just end up with such a completely different team and shape from what you kind of start with. Um, you kind of just summarise the whole game, so we should probably just can everything. <laughs> <You're welcome>. uh, <laughs> I think that it is worth saying, like Mark, that we just kind of abused James Henry quite a bit about being in that central, kind of more reserve role. But that... You know, it's a, it's a classy ball over the top. And as Ben said, that that's what we, you know, having kind of heard a bit more about Elliot Lee, that's what he's got. He might not have, you know, rip-roaring pace, but he's got that kind of composed head. And surely that's going to bode well just to get off the mark for both him and Barker.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think we'll <clears throat> probably see them featuring quite a lot. I'd, I'd be surprised, actually, if Henry goes back out onto the right, to be honest, if Lee's fit. Um assuming he's fit, I think he'll probably play there most of the season. But then, you know, I, I almost undermine my own argument in some ways with, with Henry playing through the middle, because despite him sort of visibly sort of tailing off a little bit compared to last year, he's he's still our best creator. So, you know, you are sort of, if you're Robinson, you're almost taking the gamble that one other player or several other players are going to feel that sort of, creativity hole if you do take Henry out so it's well I suppose it's why Robinson gets paid loads of money
0: yeah well they uh, John wasn't KR saying that um like it, Elliot Lee was more a 10 like and we would potentially look at like a four two three one type thing but I think we did move to that for a period last night but I'm not sure we could um, had gone off at that point we he I think he had we'd we responded
2: to that because we sort of went four, two, four or four, four, two, whatever you want to look at it after the first set of subs, and then Bristol Rovers kind of, as Stevie Kinnebrew was identifying, kind of found all the kind of the problems around that and sort of exploited them. So we went to four, two, three, one, which to me seems like a good option. We want to have in in the locker. We've got players that can play alongside Gorin who can do a bit more of the creative stuff potentially Henry or potentially Kelly. Um Or Sykes um and then you can have that number ten, which we talked on countless times on this pod about having a player nearer Matt Taylor to try and do more around him, and Elliot Lee could be that absolute player, but I think he just looks he looks an obvious upgrade for me, and that's why I think he will definitely feature when they can get him in the team,
0: yeah, I think we always said hen why why doesn't Henry ever yeah, get a chance exactly. to play in a more advanced number ten type position, be it that relationship he he had with Taylor last year as well. Um yeah, Jack, the the only other thing I kind of took from this this game beyond the goals was
3: the chaotic.
0: Okay. <laughs> it was like chaos defending, like it it,
3: it reminded me a little bit, which is probably been over the top and harsh, but playing on a Sunday morning when he knew your entire team had been out on the piss the night before. <laughs> and it was summed up by, I think Atkinson cleared the ball into Ruffles' face um, in the first half. And that that could have gone anywhere. And You, you see them fly yeah. in the top corner and end up on a DVD and all this kind of thing. But we just looked, yeah, chaos We're in each other's way all the time and going for the same ball and there was a few times we could pause it and the back four were kind of within five meters of each other. It just felt a little bit as if everyone had had kind of kids' sweets and was just charging about doing what they wanted. Um, I'm not sure how we didn't concede and it's probably, um, I think Paul Tisdale mentioned it a lot, that their strikers are, you know, ones for the future. They're not particularly savvy at the minute. Um but they yeah they didn't they didn't really make any chances. Stevens had the one good save, so we, we got we got away with it a bit. Um, but I'm not they, I'm not not going to complain about kind of two nil you know, the two 0 victory.
0: Yeah, they, they had that one chance second half where I think two of their players it kind of the ball came across like back post and two of their players kind of went for a volley at the same time and then put each other off and that was the one. But they I thought. We don't talk about the opposition very much, but I just thought they were terrible. (laughs) Like In terms of their actual attacking play, they kind of worked the ball into the right place and just absolutely spooned it all over the place every time they had a shooting opportunity or or, alternatively kicked it about four miles an hour at Jack Stevens.
2: There's far too many teams in this league that are exactly what you've just described. And it's almost depressing (laughs) that we started um, so badly. Oh, we did, yeah. Um, Because it is just a complete... I mean, did Atkinson, was this one of the Atkinson games where you see that it is his first season in league football? Because it sounded like he had a bit of a mare first half in particular.
0: I did, to be honest, I I felt it was a collective shambles. I didn't really pick Atkinson out specifically, I don't know, Ben if you've got any different take on that. But as Jack said, for me, it was just more collective chaos with limited decision-making or no one taking kind of accountability of the situation.
4: Yeah. I think if you look back at that game, you could probably pick moments where all four of them have each had a a moment of being out of position or or making a, a poor decision with where they're passing the ball. Yeah. I think it was just one of those where for whatever reason, it just almost went to pot compared to Saturday and we kind of got away with it because, as you said, Bristol Rovers didn't really offer much. I don't think it was necessarily, you know, Atkinson's fault that we defended so poorly. I think it was just, like you said, all four of them need to to take ownership of of how poorly they played at times.
3: Yeah. I I do wonder sometimes if the kind of push Ruffles long on so far in an attacking sense means that they're so frantic and getting back when they've been out of position and the opposition are countering that it just leads to a little bit of chaos It's the same against Doncaster that when they track back quickly because they've got to make 20 yards um because their man's got beyond them it just seems to drag our shape all over a little bit and they might just be in picky from noticing it the last two games but I, there might be something in that
0: yeah it's it's a good shout um, Mark were there any did you did you watch the game were there any particular performances that stood out to you
1: no not particularly I mean I watched it but it was kind of it's the sort of thing that Oxford are probably going to have to face you know for the rest of the running I imagine in that Bristol Rovers just went with a low block they just had pretty much nine nine outfield players just behind the ball the entire time and yeah, you know they then just got out to Williams or, or Leahy and and kind of punted it down the wing, you know, for their, for their who was it, Rodman and Daly, was it, I think, up front, who, you know, just to chase it in the corners and see if you can win a throne or a corner or something. And, you know, like you say, it was, at the beginning, we were quite patient. But as time went on, I think we kind of almost felt the pressure a little bit of trying to break them down. And that's when the players start finding themselves sort of all out of position and all over the place. Sort of frantically trying to sort of force it, really. Um, but once you get the first goal, it's a case of just trying to keep the hammer down. But in that second half, we we just kind of went to went to bits. Really, it was it was pretty shoddy. But we we kind of <laughs> we kind of managed. Yeah. To get out.
0: I, I, th- I think the players and management acknowledged it in a way. Um, the the only other thing is Sykes Sykes came on second half. Um, so I'm, I'm pro Mark Sykes I want to see him do well on the back of some of his performances last year and I think I was saying to the guys like oh I'd love it love it if he got a goal and then about a minute later he was put kind of clean <laughs> through um, and I think Brannigan was making a decent run but I, I think we collected whilst we were saying I should have played Brannigan in or I should have scored uh, I thought the defender actually did really well to cut off both yeah. the kind of the angle towards Brannigan and then get the challenge in at the right time yeah. so not too much on um, Sykes for that one. I
1: agree.
0: Um, Winnell hit the bar as well with a header near the end and then at that point you're you're starting to think for for feck's sake we're probably something's going to happen at the end of this but I think generally we saw the game out all right albeit again it was scrappy do. He um, does but, seem yeah. to have a presence Winnell that's certainly aerially more
2: than perhaps Taylor does. He seems to be coming together in, in my sort of mind and I think the other thing that I've noticed, KR's not sort of really talked much about today, is how long Sam Long is going to be out for. <laughs> long long, <laughs> which is um, a potential challenge. Although, obviously, I'm going to say Anthony Ford did really well, but he did do really well. But yeah. it looks like he'll be he'll be in the team for the foreseeable, and um, that's that's going to sort of create quite a, another attacking dimension to our already attacking based team.
1: Yeah,
0: I wonder if that means the Ford's back on set pieces, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of assume so, I guess. Just to get you drawling again, John. Yeah. Um, but he yeah, said long, long with a hamstring. Elliot Lee had a tight calf, came off. James Henry had a dead leg. Have they? Sorry, I haven't had any time to look at anything today. So have they did they say sorry the the amount of time anyone's out for? Was it just long? Assuming that it's going to be a while just didn't really
2: give an update on time that they were going to be out, which is sort of, I mean, James Henry, I think, yeah, said it was a dead leg, so that's, you know, short term. Um, just didn't mention anything about the other two, which long is, is the key one. Um, not that Ford can't
0: do a job. Yeah. Um, reaction to the game. So KR would just acknowledged that we changed shape about 28 times, like I said. Uh, he talked about Barker. Yeah, but there was a moment in the game I'm sure you guys remember where Barker kind of pulled out from a challenge, um, and then we went, "What's he do? What's he doing?" And then they had a, they kind of had an attack off the back of it, and I think Kr was giving him, giving him all sorts of verbals on the side, on the back of that, which you could pick up on. I follow, and Kinebra was just losing his mind. Um, he was going to go <laughs> down there and lamp him by the sounds of it. I oh, know, <laughs> oh, but then like on the back of that as kind of Mark talked about earlier, he did his party trick where he just starts kicking the ball in different directions and chasing it like a, like a lost pup. (laughs) Um, It was, yeah, I, I, I'm well excited to see how he gets on um, for the rest of the season. And he, he interviewed all right, actually after the game of Fort Barker. Um, But I think um, KR was saying his body language might not always look great, but he knows this is his big opportunity and he does really want it. So yeah, yeah, we'll see how that progresses. Um, cool, League One then. So the ta- that may it does make a big difference that that result. Um, looking at the table, and suddenly you're kind of looking at it and thinking, right, we're three points off the playoffs now. With two games in hand on Charlton, um, and also a game in hand on some of the other teams above. And I I just can't help myself but look at the autos and start to you know. I'm just one of them type of people that's like, you know, Hull dropping a few points recently, not doing as well, but I probably should stop you, getting carried You changed away. your prediction to sixth. No, I said second. I said second at the beginning of the season. Yeah, and then when we talked, talked about it the other it. day... You changed it to sixth, <laughs> and I held on sixth. So, did I do that on the pod or outside the pod? Well, you've done. You, no one needs to know that. It was on the pod, and you've done it again nah. on the pod by this conversation. So, yeah. um, well, I, I've got the power of editing the, truth, the thing, mate. True, so true. I could do whatever I want. <laughs> um, Mark, where do you reckon we're going to finish? You got to say now. I'm,
1: I'm guess I'm really analytical. <laughs> I'm I'm really hours. boring here, but I I ran a a simulation on the rest of the season. Um, and it has us finishing between sort of eighth and tenth. Um, but of course, there's a whole load of. What did you say? The the, the Tesco broadband cut out. Oh, I I, I ran a um, a thousand simulations of the remainder of the season, and um, yeah,
0: and where, where did it put us? It
1: put us between eighth and tenth. Um, oh, but of course, that
0: is devastating.
1: But don't be really sad because there's a whole load of caveats in that you know, with injuries, players that we've signed, all that sort of palaver that that hopefully will sort of elevate us. But I think um, I had a little look earlier at 5.38. I don't know if you've seen that, but that has us, I think, finishing seventh. So I think actually it's game on. I think we're probably in with a shout, even though my model didn't seem to fancy it, but I'm going to ignore it. So... <laughs> What are you? What are you going to say though? From the heart. From the heart. Oh. Fifth. Ign-
0: fifth. Okay,
1: yeah. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Going on a massive run. If we get over this next batch, of, uh, next batch of fixtures just after Tranmere, I think we have got sort of Ipswich, yeah. Portsmouth. Yeah. Um, I think we've got a few others as well. Who kind of a Charlton, I think, or another one. If we get over those four or five, and we we're sort of still in with a decent shout, I think. Yeah, we're probably looking quite good.
0: Yeah, I noticed. Um, Accrington lost with their six hundred games in hand. Um, <laughs> so they've stopped picking up results. Um, what else stood out? Harland Lincoln drawing nil nil. Wigan, obviously, who we're playing, and we'll preview in a sec. Um, beating Northampton away, as you said, Mister Kells has gone. Um, Peterborough beating Ipswich. Swindon losing to Pompey. I noticed that Rochdale continued their beautiful (laughs) uh, defensive record with conceding (laughs) uh, three goals in uh, six or seven minutes um, at one point in the game, losing 4-1. God, Sunderland, I didn't even spot that. Sunderland are becoming irrelevant, aren't they? I know they're still above us in the table, but... They're an established League One team now. (laughs) (laughs) So they they lost to Shrewsbury. And then the other big one that was interesting was... um, Fleetwood doing one over on Donny who obviously had been flying in terms of their form so yeah it is getting interesting as as you say John i just think that um there's so many teams in this league that are just shocking um in comparison to where i think we should be with the squad that we've got so like you said mark if we can get over this next batch of games then you, we've got to be in with a, a good a good shout yeah um who did wigan notes? I had a look at Wigan. Go on, Jack. Fill us in.
3: Well, their takeover that seems to have been going on forever is still going on. Um, The Spanish consortium didn't take over, so there's numerous other parties allegedly interested. Um, So that means since John Sheridan left in November, they still haven't got a permanent manager. So uh, I think Liam Richardson's still in charge, who was Paul Cook's assistant. So they're kind of continuing to battle on a little bit and... Their squad's quite small. It's made up of five low um quite a handful of younger players. So re- it's really tough to know what team's gonna turn up. As they went and won one at Northampton last night. And I think when we discussed the game earlier on in the season, they'd had some really kind of inconsistent results. Um t- had a look what they did in January. They brought in uh seven or eight players. A complete mix again. So a couple of young lads who have come through the Liverpool Academy but one's been playing in America um, and one's coming on loan from Feyenoord and they've signed players like Jamie Proctor who's a bit of a journeyman, lower league striker. Zach Clough who was good at Rochdale for a while and got a big move to Nottingham Forest but hasn't he, really Zach done Clough, anything.
0: He's one of them that people always signed on Football Manager yeah. and I was, I was looking at it going, why do I know his name? Right. <laughs> but that's why.
3: Yeah, so had an interesting window. And then just yesterday, they signed a striker called Joe Dodu. Dudu? I'm not sure. Not that doo that we had who played for <laughs> us once. But um, <laughs> he, uh, he's had an interesting career. He got a move to Rangers when he was younger after coming through Leicester's Academy. Um, I think he scored against us at Blackpool possibly a couple of seasons ago. Um, but equally, they lost some of their experienced heads. So Joe Garner... Um sacked it off and has gone to play in Cyprus, which must be quite nice. Um, Cal Naismith joined Luton. Um, so yeah, their, their squad's a real mismatch and reflects the kind of situation they're in, really. Um, yet, somehow, they're one of four teams on 24 points. So whilst they seem to be a little bit adrift kind of before Christmas, they're they're in with a chance of getting out of the uh, the, the bottom four. Um, that was their first win in five games last night. Um, Callum Lang scored the winner. Uh, they just recalled him from Motherwell, um, where he spent the first half of the season on loan. So they've been kind of playing, or last night anyway, played a five-three-two uh with Will Keenan and Lang up front, um, which is a change from a kind of four-three-three that had only brought them two points from 15. So I would hope, as the home team will properly take it to them because I think an early goal would absolutely kill them. I think they'll come to frustrate. Um they've lost their full back Tom Pierce is out for the rest of the season. I think he is pretty much ever present this season. So hopefully with Barker and Or Shadipo on 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 it and uh, having a go at a you know an inexperienced fullback he's likely to play instead. Um I'd be quite hopeful we can win this by a uh, canter maybe two or three nil. Don't know what everyone else is thinking, John.
2: Well, I mean, yeah, I sort of agree with with all of that. And if you look at some of their games before that, they're shipping a lot of goals. Still, you know, three to, um, sorry, five against Blackpool, um, three against Rochdale, (laughs) which is, um, well, the norm, isn't it, really? Um, So I think there's definite goals in it, and we've got such an attacking presence that I think it. It's a comfortable victory, and if anything else, it's a major inquest that needs to be had Really,
3: Ben, what are you thinking?
4: Yeah, I'm on the save wavelength. Uh, I think with the the little run of games that Mark touched on in the coming few weeks afterwards, it's crucial that we do, like I said, take the game to them and make sure that we put a stamp on the game early, especially if we can get that early goal. Uh, I think defensively, it could be anything, Based on the last two games we've seen, I suspect they'll probably nick a goal, but I think we'll win three-one.
3: Nice, Mark. Have you got any trends about Wigan at all apart from they're not very good?
1: No, I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've not really looked at Wigan a whole lot. I mean, they've got a load of youngsters who are who are quite decent. Callum Lang, as you say, up front, who's been at Shrewsbury and Shrewsbury and uh, Motherwell, and then of course Pierce, who just heads out for the rest of the season. I was just doing a quick. Uh, a quick Google of, of Wigan in the news. And I think it was like uh, Wigan signed striker to get them out the doo do or something. So I'm I'm, I'm kind <laughs> of having a quick look at them now. Well, and then they've got, um, they've got uh, what's his name, Kyle something up front as well. Who's quite well fancied. Kyle um, uh, Joseph, I think it is. Uh, but I, th- I think he's another who's kind yeah, of out. That's it. He's another who's out injured. So, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's it's a total sort of mishmash of a squad, isn't it? With people like sort of Curtis Tilt at centre-back, which is just really random. But um, yeah, I think we should be looking kind of to put them to the sword a bit here, playing at home. We'll have hopefully a load of possession. And it's going to be, I imagine, similar to Bristol Rovers. So it's a case of just taking the chances when they come. But um, just don't let them frustrate us, really.
2: Yeah, score prediction, agree. Mark.
1: You gotta do it. I'm going. I'm going four nil on this one. I'm going to go quite big. I think. Yeah. We've, we've sort of our real issue sort of throughout the season, attacking wise. We've been pretty decent. It's the defence that tends to let us down a bit. But if they're just sort of playing one up top, and that's Callum Lang, I think that sort of more and more and Atkinson should be able to sort of deal with him. It's just whether we can deal with sort of players on the wing like fellow Asgard and whatnot. So. Um, yeah, I'm feeling confident. I like that. I think I'm going to say I'm going to
0: go with a four nil as well. I thought to, ben, to Ben's point, it is a bit of a shame, like how you don't know what which kind of version of our defense is going to crop up after a really, really good run of what was it like five clean sheets and eight? I think we said yeah at one point. Um, so it's a bit yeah. I'd hope we're keep, keeping a clean sheet on Saturday and getting a, a goal first half that we then build on, and their confidence drains, and then they're all over the shot. Yeah, I like that. Big, big win would be ace to get on another run. Um, right, I think that's about us done. So we've got Wigan, and then it's a full week. I don't. Have we got Tuesday game, or is that when we're playing the pizza? Champions? Okay, the pizza. Is in town on Tuesday. Six o'clock pizza. Is it a six? It's it's not a natural six o'clock kickoff, is it? It
3: is. It's on Sky.
0: Is it? Really helpful for for everyone who (laughs) might want to think about (sighs) watching it. Well, okay. Okay. Exciting. Usually you get like Don Goodman trying to wax lyrical about his Oxford knowledge and he just chats absolute trife the whole time.
2: It's our man Dean Saunders normally, isn't it? Dean bloody saunders. Too <laughs> bad. I mean, he obviously did play for us, but you no, know, that's doesn't
0: limit him. Yeah. Um, so we'll probably do a pod after those two games, I expect, next time round. And then, like we said, we've got a run that's Pompey at home, Milton Keynes with their total football that seems to be working for him a bit more now. Um, away. So that that I reckon that's going to be a tough game when we get to them, um, end of Feb, based on the run they've been on there you go but um, Mark do you enjoy yourself
1: yeah I had a lovely old time thank you very much yeah thanks
0: a lot, mate it'd be <laughs> cool to get um, more insight into the analytics stuff
1: yeah I might as time goes on I and might even prepare something next time if I'm asked <laughs> back again <laughs> for
0: sure absolutely mate um, right cheers chaps and we'll catch everyone soon thanks for listening as always <laughs>